Welcome back to Return to Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Curry. If you haven't yet listened to our previous podcast episode, please make sure you go back and give it a listen. It's called Slaying the Innocent, episode 15 on Return to Truth. Now, if this is your first time here, thank you so much for joining me today. If you've been here before, I appreciate your continued loyalty to the truth and for coming back for more. So to get you up to speed on where we are at, the past six episodes, we have been discussing the Ten Commandments. We have been, in a way, deep diving from a high level into each one, touching the surface of God's holy law. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode nine, Trust and Obey, to fully understand why we keep the commandments of God, not to be saved, but rather because we are saved. As always, before we begin any episode, we need to take it to God and ask Him to guide us into a better understanding of His Word. So, with that said, let's start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us truth in your Word. Thank you for guiding us in the way we ought to walk. Help us to stand firm in the midst of any sin, any temptation that comes our way, so that we may choose you. Continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's episode is The Marriage Bed. This surrounds the seventh commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, You shall not commit adultery. God established the institution of marriage in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 reads, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. In this, God set the standard for all future marriages and sexual relationships. Adam and Eve didn't have their own private arrangement. God brought them together. It was public with God as the witness and the minister. Marriage is a public statement of a lifetime commitment to your spouse, and only then can sexual intimacy be enjoyed with God's divine approval and blessing. The biblical idea of sexual intimacy and purity is found in both the Old and New Testaments, and their position against sexual immorality is clear. Cohabitation, also known as living together before you get married, however, does not follow the biblical pattern, nor does it follow the biblical idea of virginity and sexual abstinence before marriage. We see marriage referred to as a covenant in Proverbs chapter 2 verses 16 through 17 and Malachi chapter 2 verses 14. Covenant is one of the best biblical terms used to describe a marriage because it gives the impression of permanence, intimacy, and mutuality and exclusiveness. You may argue that there was no requirement for a legal marriage in the Bible days. However, there were laws rules and punishments in regards to marriage covenants. Marriages were not secret. They were public events with public celebrations, and God was the center of the union. The parents played a huge role in determining if the couple should or shouldn't be united as well. The Old Testament places a high value on virginity, as noted in Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 22. It emphasizes the importance of remaining a virgin until marriage, which is implicate in the foundational principles for marriage established by God as recorded in Genesis chapter 2. 
Before marriage began through an official and public act, no sexual intercourse was even allowed. One thing to keep in mind is that texts regarding sexual behavior in the first five books of the Bible are not there to ruin people's fun. They are there to protect the sacred bonds between a husband and wife that God designed in Eden. These rules protect the man, the woman, and any children they might create. How many STDs, some of which are not even curable, just treatable, could be avoided? Or what about unplanned pregnancies and abortions, as we just discussed in episode 15? God loves us and wants us to avoid pain, fear, and heartache. God sees the whole picture. We don't. He looks further down the road, while humans just think of instant sexual gratification, the here and the now. There are lasting consequences that happen as a result of not following his well-thought-out plans. Though the Old Testament doesn't directly address consensual cohabitation, it does deal with the foundational idea upon which cohabitation is based, which is men and women engaging in sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Cohabitation exchanges wholesome sexuality for self-centered physical and emotional pleasure, while ignoring the spiritual part in God's original plan. The biblical account of Samson is a great example of this. He went after what pleased him, and in a way that only pleased him, not God. Don't repeat the same mistakes that he made. Remember what happened to him. Judges chapter 16 verses 30 reads this, And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's, and upon all the people who were in it. The New Testament backs up the principles and teachings regarding sexual behavior found in the Old Testament. Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the Church were unanimous in upholding fidelity in marriage by rejecting any premarital or extramarital sex. One interesting fact is that Jesus' first public miracle happened during a public wedding celebration at Cana, which emphasizes Jesus' approval of the marriage relationship and the importance of witnesses of the marriage covenant. Marriage has the same public nature and social importance that it had in the Old Testament. If you notice, the togetherness of the husband and wife was ordained by God as the perfect way to develop a Christian character. Publicly leaving the bio family combined with a covenant cleaving to one's new spouse and the sexual intimacy that follows is the ideal environment whereby Christians grow. Since sexual relationships outside of a covenant of marriage are forbidden by Scripture, cohabiting couples do not have the ideal environment for Christian growth, as they are in a direct violation of biblical marriage. There is clearly a dividing line between unholy and holy sexual activity. In this context of marriage, sexual activity is looked upon with favor by God and all of His angels. Any sexual activity outside of the committed marriage relationship is a sin against God. Now, you may say, we can live together and not do anything, right? Well, you're wrong. Christians are not to be a stumbling block toward others either. Others will look at you and your walk and relationship with Christ. What do you think they will say when they see you living in sin? Are you allowing Christ to live through you and your actions? The idea that others could fall on account of your actions and possibly find themselves worse off physically 
mentally and spiritually is a burden I would not want on anyone's conscience. Plus, why would you allow that in your home? Why put yourself in a situation that could compromise your very own relationship with God and your witness? It's like taking down the force field that the Holy Spirit has over you. You know, we read in Matthew 18, verse 6, it says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Okay, with that being said, let's switch things up a bit. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus teaches that divorcing one's wife for any reason except adultery, or the Greek word pornea, referring to illicit sexual relationships, causes the woman to commit adultery if she marries again and the man she marries as well. It reads this, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. The reason for this is because the woman didn't have biblical grounds for her first divorce. So in the eyes of God, she is still married to her first husband. The exception clause here is except for sexual immorality. It demonstrates the significance of God's disfavor of sexual intimacy outside the bounds of his pattern established from creation. The biblical principles are clear that any detour from sex within marriage is against the will of God. More examples of this are found in the narrative of the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4 verses 1 through 42. The woman caught in adultery, that's John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. Herod, when John the Baptist called him out for living with his brother's wife, that's Luke chapter 3 verses 19 through 20 and the Corinthian man who was sleeping with his father's wife, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-13. through 13. The latter was a member of the church who had likely been warned about his immoral behavior several times. Paul gives this stern advice to the rest of the members in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, Paul gives this serious warning. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, since cohabitation is a form of fornication or sexual immorality, Paul would declare that those cohabiting will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there is hope if they repent and turn away from sin. Those who have sinned sexually can find forgiveness through God's grace and love and be made holy through the power of Christ. You know, and I don't want you to miss this next point in this verse. John chapter 8 verses 11 says, And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. 
There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but only a path forward with true faithfulness and love to him. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16-17, through 17, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. In other words, people who don't want a permanent covenant relationship of marriage, either right now or ever, have one option, and that's celibacy. Living in a pretend marriage type of situation is not an option for a Christian. It would be considered sexual immorality and forbidden by Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15-19, through 19, Paul teaches that the body is a member of Christ and is intended to be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul reinforces the teaching of the body as a temple and reminds us Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Therefore, humans are called to live a holy life, staying away from sexual immorality, and remembering our responsibility to care for our bodies. Joining one's body to a prostitute is forbidden. Likewise, cohabiting defiles the body temple, and so those who follow Christ will choose not to do so. Also notice he says, flee from sexual immorality. Remember how Joseph fled. He ran from Potiphar's wife when she tried to seduce him. That's Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 21. It says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And we read further that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. We see here that he is not sticking around. He got out of Dodge, and for good reason. Sometimes that's the best way to resist temptation when it's too strong. God even promises he will help us resist. It says here that God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13. Paul offers marriage, or being single, and celibate as solutions to sexual immorality. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 through 7, we read, But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, 
who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. We also read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. God's will for our sexuality is holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, not passionate lust. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5, this applies to singles and also those who are married. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 declares empathetically, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The Old Testament refers to engaging in various sexual sin is referred to as defiling oneself. That's Leviticus 18, verse 24. Paul's teaching is a clear encouragement for sexual purity before marriage, faithfulness in marriage, and warning for those who disregard God's laws. The difference between the marriage bed and any other bed is God's blessing and approval. With God's approval, the married couple can completely enjoy sexual oneness. The marriage covenant makes all the difference in God's eyes. It was His plan from the beginning. The Bible doesn't leave any room for doubt that sexual intimacy within the context of committed marital relationship is the only legitimate form of cohabitation that God approves. And while the world promotes the you gotta live with someone first lie, we know that our wise creator would have encouraged us to do so if it was in our best interest. Prayer, being mindful of red flags, listening to wise counsel, two years or so of in-person dating, plus a six-month premarital counseling with a licensed premarital therapist will determine compatibility and help with this. In conclusion, it's okay to be single. It's okay to be married. But since marriage is not a game, we shouldn't play pretend marriage. You know, there's a quote from Charles Swindle that goes like this. Adultery occurs in the head long before it occurs in the bed. And you know, it's so much more than just adultery. It's also fornication, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, which is sexual immorality. It's all summed up in this one commandment and in many verses laid out for us as we just spoke about. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 reads this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, sex before marriage is in itself raw, plain and simple. It's fornication, and it shouldn't exist in the Christian's life. It doesn't matter what form it is in. It's not the way God intended it to be. It was C.S. Lewis that said this, The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all the other kinds of union which was intended to go along with it and make up the total union. The Christian attitude does not mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure, any more than about the pleasure of eating. 
It means that you must not isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasure of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and spitting them out again. Okay, let's switch things up a bit again. Further thought into this, let's talk about another issue that surrounds this, and that is pornography. Is it worth the risk? Is it okay? You may think it's not a sin because you are not technically with another woman, right? But the Bible says otherwise. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 29, where it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that the whole body be thrown into hell. Think about it this way. If there was a mystery box in front of you, and in that box was a 50-50 chance of pleasure for you, or a chance of pain and suffering for Christ, would you open it? Probably not. That's how we need to look at it. That's how we need to look at sin. Is sexual immorality really worth your salvation? Pornography is damaging. It can ruin lives, homes, and marriages, just like adultery itself. It is an addiction, but you can in fact control it along with anything else that is dragging you down. It's all about denying self, putting Jesus in front of your desires as sort of a blockade, a wall, if you will. Always run everything through Him first. Use Him as a filter over your very own actions and your eyes. Look at the love of Jesus. Look at what He has done for you. When you realize the nails is not what held Him to the cross, but that it was His love for you, it will change and transform you. So keep looking at the cross when you are faced with these trials and these temptations. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15-17 through 17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to put this in the easiest way that I can. Don't make your bed with Satan. And stop playing house. God is watching you. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We have so much more coming your way. You can find Return to Truth on many different podcast apps. Just search Return to Truth and look for the logo. Make sure to follow this podcast channel on any of those apps or websites to stay up to date. Don't forget to then comment and rate because I want to hear from you. And please share this podcast as much as you can. New episodes are dropping every single Monday. So remember to stay tuned for our next episode as we return to truth.